following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're continuing our series this morning in the book of Acts, and we come to this passage in Acts chapter 2 this morning, which is about the day of Pentecost. Now, it's not Pentecost Sunday today. Pentecost Sunday is coming up at the end of May. Uh, that's the traditional day when the church remembers and celebrates the day of Pentecost. Uh, but because we're already in this book of Acts and we come to this chapter this morning, uh, we're going to have our own Pentecost Sunday today. We're going to kind of have our own little day of Pentecost together today. So the day of Pentecost, it might mean nothing to you. You might not have thought much about it at all. Uh, or it might mean a huge amount to you, particularly if you identify as a Pentecostal, uh, then you're all about this day. You're all about this passage. Uh, this is, you're named after this passage, and this is a huge deal to you. Uh, but wherever you're at in your faith journey, this day of Pentecost and what happened on this day has huge repercussions for our lives today. On this day in history, Something happened. God did something incredible that was an absolute game changer. It changed the way that God worked in history. It changed the way that God works in the world. Changed the way God works in our church. And it changed and transformed the way that God works in our own personal lives. So the day of Pentecost has a huge significance for us today. So let's walk through the story together and uh, look at what God has to say through his word to us. The first thing that Luke, the author of Acts, mentions in Acts chapter 2 is that this happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, we think of Pentecost as a one-off event, but in fact, this was an annual event. It occurred every year for the Jewish people. The day of Pentecost was one of three major Jewish festivals, and Jews from all over the world would converge on Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. Jews from all over the Middle East, all over the Mediterranean world, especially Jewish men and boys, uh, they would try to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so the numbers, the population in Jerusalem swelled during these couple of weeks when there was a huge crowd gathered there in the city. And the followers of Jesus are there on the day of Pentecost and they're gathering together, uh, probably in, in someone's home. And they're gathering and, and waiting there because Jesus has told them to wait. Uh, he'd appeared to them, if you remember last week on the ascension, he'd appeared to them before he ascended to heaven. And he'd told them to wait in Jerusalem. Uh, wait for the promised Holy Spirit who was going to come upon them in power. So the disciples are gathered there. The followers of Jesus, they're there. Uh, they're waiting and they're praying. And then as they're gathered there, they hear the sound of this rushing wind. They hear the sound of, the, of this violent, mighty wind filling the house where they are gathered. And they see these tongues of fire coming down to rest on each of them, these individual units of fire that rest above them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're given the ability, miraculously, to speak in other languages, languages they, they didn't even know. And incredibly and appropriately, these languages that the disciples are able to speak are exactly the languages spoken by the crowd of people outside in Jerusalem. And there's a huge crowd that gathers around this home where the disciples were because they hear this commotion and they wonder what's going on. And so they come to see and they hear these disciples speaking and, and praising God. 
and they say, how is it that we can hear these men speaking? We, we know they're Galileans. We can hear that in their accent. We know that they're not foreigners. They're from Israel. But we can hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongue. Uh, one of them would be speaking Egyptian, and another one would be speaking Aramaic. Uh, one of them would be speaking Arabic. One of them would be speaking one of the Parthian languages. They'd be speaking the languages from, from all over the Mediterranean world, not just Israel. And these languages were heard and understood by those who were listening. And the people asked each other, what does this mean? And that's a good question. That's a good question for us to ask today. What does this mean? Uh, what really happened on this day? How are we supposed to understand it? And then what ongoing significance does this have for our lives today? I think the easiest way to understand this is to think of the three signs that were given to the followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. Three signs. There was something they saw, uh, there was something that they heard, and there was something that they spoke. So let's start first, we'll look at each of these signs because they, they come together to form a picture of what was going on on that day. Let's start first with what the disciples heard. They heard the sound of this mighty rushing wind filling the room, filling the house where they were gathered. Now in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, the word for spirit, the Hebrew word is ruach, and it literally means wind or breath. It's, the, it's the, the breath of God that breathes new life wherever God is present and wherever God speaks. So you think about the creation story. In the beginning, you have the, the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, hovering over the waters. And then God speaks. He, he breathes. He speaks a word. And the Ruach, the Spirit of God, goes forth and it brings creation into being. It brings about life out of nothingness, out of chaos. And then God creates human beings. And again, the Ruach of God breathes into the first human being and animates him and gives him life. The spirit, the Ruach, is the life-giving spirit. So when we have here this picture of the, the wind filling the, the home where the disciples gathered, what we want to recognize is this is the Ruach of God. This is the Spirit of God coming and filling this place. This is the same life-giving Spirit who was there at creation. And just as in creation, the Ruach brought life where there was nothing, now the Spirit of God is bringing new creation. Now the Spirit of God is bringing this, this newness of life, this new world out of the old world. And just as the Ruach breathed into the first human being to give him life, now the Ruach of God is breathing into these human beings, giving them new life, bringing them alive again, this time not physically, but in eternal senses of being filled with the Spirit of God and animated to new life with Christ. So the Ruach of God is what the wind expresses, the presence, the power of God. And that's connected to the next sign that we see in this passage, which is the fire. The fire, these tongues of fire come down upon the disciples and, and rest on each of them. And the fire in the Old Testament is often an image used of the presence of God. So you think of Moses in Exodus who, who encounters God in the burning bush and God speaks to him from the fire, speaks to him out of the burning bush. 
Think of the way that God's presence came down in fire on Mount Sinai. God came in fire. Think of the way that God led his people with a pillar of fire through the wilderness. The, the, the fire represents the ongoing abiding presence of God with his people. So now we have this moment where the fire of God, the fire of God's spirit is coming upon his people. But it's not just resting on them. Now, the text says, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So now the fire of God, the Spirit of God is, is filling each of these disciples. And for the first time, they are filled with the presence of God in a permanent, ongoing and abiding way. And that's the significance of the Holy Spirit. He is the very personal presence of God with us when we belong to Jesus. Uh, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they don't just enter into a relationship with God. There's not just a transaction that goes on. They don't just become part of God's family. God's very presence fills their being. God floods our being with his being, with, with his life, with his presence. That doesn't mean that we become gods. We don't become divine, but it means that we are filled with the presence of God. God makes our being, our, our bodies, his home. The, the, these broken and cracked vessels that we are, the, these sinful and broken beings that we have, God fills our lives with his presence so that he walks not only with us, but within us. That's an extraordinary reality. I think if, if some of those men and women in the Old Testament had been told that the presence of God would not just rest upon his people, but fill them, they would have been absolutely blown away. But that's the reality we experience today, the life-giving personal presence of God within each of us through the Holy Spirit. And the reason that the Holy Spirit comes upon us is the same reason for which he was given in Acts chapter 2. He comes to bring new life. He comes to bring life out of lifelessness. He comes to bring new things out of the old. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. He does it at the beginning of our relationship with God when, when He first brings life into, into our being when we come to faith in Jesus and we come into that reception of eternal life. But then from that moment, the Spirit of God is continually working to bring new things out of the old, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring encouragement, to remind us of the presence of God with us. I experienced this in a powerful way about 18 months ago. I went through one of the most difficult times in my life. It was a really hard season for me. I was dealing with a, a really tough personal issue, a really difficult pastoral issue, uh, and it was taking a big personal toll on me mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And at the beginning of that, of that time, near the beginning of that whole thing, uh, a guy from the church looked me up and wanted to have coffee with me. And he wasn't involved at all in the situation I was dealing with. He didn't have any knowledge of it. I thought he wanted to talk to me about something else. But he sat down with me when we caught up and he said, God's just placed you on my heart. And I've got a sense that you're struggling. And I want you to know that the struggle's not going to last forever, that you're going to come through this. And God wants to encourage you to stand firm in your faith. And man, I held on to that. I held on to that right through that tough season. It didn't mean that things automatically got better. In fact, they got worse before they got better. But I came back to that moment time and time again because I could see the way that God was speaking through this man 
into my life to bring encouragement and hope to me. I think the Holy Spirit was working in both of our lives in that situation. He was working within that guy to place me on his heart, to prompt him to share that with me, to encourage me with it. And he was working in my life to bring me such motivation and inspiration and hope through those words that I could see this, this, was, this was the voice of God speaking through uh, a member of my church into my life to breathe encouragement and hope. This was one of the ways that God's brought new life to me by His Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He's the encourager. He's the, the comforter. He's the one who brings peace when there's anxiety. He's the one who brings hope out of hopelessness. He's the one who, who brings freshness where parts of our life are just dry and stale. He's the one who always brings new out of the old. And it doesn't always have to be in dramatic ways, in big, extraordinary things. Often I think the work of the Spirit, some of, some of the best work of the Spirit, is in those gentle, quiet, understated ways. It's those little steps of faith that people are prompted to take through the Holy Spirit. It's people coming to have a, a fresh love for, for God's Word, or people being, being prompted to, to say something about their faith journey to someone else who, who doesn't know Jesus, or people receiving God's comfort in a situation of deep pain and brokenness. All of these are ways in which the Spirit is at work in our lives today, just as He was on the day of Pentecost, bringing hope, bringing faith, bringing new life, and most of all, bringing the presence of God and reminding us that the very personal abiding presence of God rests within each one of us. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, these first two signs that the disciples receive then move on to this third sign. And this kind of takes us in a bit of a different direction. The third sign is what the disciples speak now, these disciples are given the ability, a miraculous ability, to speak in other tongues, other languages they, they didn't even know. And there's a huge debate today among Christians, a lot of controversy around whether this gift of speaking in tongues is still around today or not, whether it's still valid today or not, and, and how it should be used and how it shouldn't be used, and so on, and back and forth it goes. But I think so much of the time, that debate misses the point. The real point is why this gift was given in the first place. The real point is, why did God give these people the ability to speak in other languages? Now, to answer that question, we need to go back to a story in the Old Testament. The story of Pentecost is built on another narrative much earlier in the biblical story, all the way back in Genesis 11. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. And in Genesis 11, in the Tower of Babel story, you have these people from all many nations of the earth coming together around a shared purpose. They come together to build this tower, to construct this huge tower to the heavens. And they don't build it just for the sake of building a tower. They build it because they want to rival God, because they want to rival his power, because they want to be like God. So they build this tower or they start building this tower, but God is displeased with this because it represents an act of rebellion against him. And so God comes down and judges this work. He takes away the common language that the people were using to communicate with one another, and he leaves them only with their local tongues and, and dialects and native languages. And so then because the people can't understand each other, they can't work together. And because they can't work together, the project stops and people are scattered throughout the earth. Now, when you take that story 
the Tower of Babel, and you put it next to the story of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, there are incredible connections between these two stories. We are meant to read the Pentecost story against the backdrop of the Tower of Babel. Just think about the comparison between the two. In the Tower of Babel, you have people from all over the world coming together around a shared purpose. On the day of Pentecost, you have Jews from all over the world coming together, coming to Jerusalem for a shared purpose. In the Tower of Babel story, God comes down and gives people all these different languages to speak. And on the day of Pentecost, God once again, as the Holy Spirit, comes down and gives the people all of these different languages to speak. But the key difference between the two stories, and this is so important, the key difference is the purpose for which God acted. In the Tower of Babel story, God's act of giving these languages was an act of judgment. It was an act of judgment because of, of the sin and the pride of these people. But in the Pentecost story, God's gift of these languages is a sign of blessing. It's a gift so that people can hear and they can understand the wonders of God being expressed in all of these different languages in their own language. And they can hear the good news about Jesus and they can respond to it. So whereas in the Tower of Babel story, the languages were given for the purpose of confusion, for the purpose of confusing the people, in the Pentecost story, these languages are given for the purpose of understanding, for the purpose of bringing understanding so that people could hear and respond to the message about Jesus. Now, can you see what's happening? What Pentecost represents is a reversal of the judgment that occurred at Babel. Pentecost represents an undoing of the curse of Babel. So whereas at Babel the nations were judged, the people were judged and the nations were scattered. People were scattered all over the known world. They were dispersed. But here at Pentecost, that judgment is now being undone. The curse is being reversed and the nations are not being scattered. They're being gathered. People from all nations, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation are being gathered in and given the opportunity to hear, connect with, and respond to the good news about Jesus. The blessing of God is moving out beyond just the nation of Israel. It's not their exclusive property anymore. Now to encompass all nations of the earth. God's redemptive movement is, is moving out now towards the nations, and the nations are being gathered in to worship and praise God. That's what this gift of tongues was all about. That's what this gift of languages was all about. Not just so that people could have a good time praising God on their own. It was given for the purpose of reaching the nations. It was given for the purpose of mission so the nations might hear and respond to God. And this is who the Holy Spirit is. This is who He still is today. He is the Spirit of mission. The Holy Spirit's not just given to us to make us feel good. It's not just given to us so that we would be blessed. The Spirit is given for the purpose of the love and the good news about Jesus going out to the nations. That is still the mission of the Spirit of God in our world today. The Holy Spirit is still reaching the nations today. And we need to have the eyes to see this. It's easy not to see it, I think, in the Western world and, and, and not to hear much about it. And we can tend to get discouraged because we hear statistics of a church in decline, and, and, and we see the strong grip that secularism has in Western culture. But we've got to lift up our eyes. We've got to lift up our eyes to see what the Spirit is doing among the nations. You know the place where 
Christianity is growing the fastest right now is in Iran, of all places, in the Islamic Republic of Iran. More people have come to faith in Jesus in Iran in the past 10 years than in the past 1300 years before that. There's an absolute revival going on in Iran at the moment, a spiritual awakening as many, many people are coming to place their faith in Christ. And this church that's forming in Iran, it has no assets, it has no power, it has no resources, it doesn't have any buildings to meet in, it certainly has no status in society, it's a, it's a persecuted church if it's ever discovered, but it's a church that's full of the Holy Spirit, made up of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and have been impacted by the work of the Spirit in their lives. This is just one place in our world today where the Spirit of God is moving and we need to have the eyes to see. We need to lift up our eyes to recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing among the nations. We need to pray into this, to pray that God would keep working, that the Spirit would keep moving, that He would keep stirring hearts and awakening faith and opening eyes to the good news of Jesus. And we need to trust the Holy Spirit to prompt our hearts to speak up and speak out about our faith and to look around us for opportunities to show the love and the good news of Jesus to those in our lives. The Holy Spirit is still at work among the nations today. So I don't know where you're at this morning in your faith journey. I don't know where you're at in relation to the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you to ask God to do in your life what he did in the lives of these men and women on the day of Pentecost. I want to pray that maybe this morning for you could be your own personal day of Pentecost. Now, of course, what God did here is a unique and one-off event. This was the moment the Spirit was given for the first time. But the Spirit can come on us in power as we are filled again with the Holy Spirit afresh in our lives today. You may never have encountered the Holy Spirit, you may never have encountered Jesus in your life and entered into a relationship with Him. You can ask God today to begin that relationship with you and fill you with His presence by His Spirit in the very, for the very first time as you place your faith in Jesus. And you may be a follower of Jesus, but you've just got that sense in your life today that, that things are just kind of stagnant and kind of empty and dry and maybe you're just fatigued. And, and you're weary. And I want to invite you to ask again for the Spirit to fill you afresh. To ask for the Holy Spirit to, to, to blow upon your life afresh. The fresh wind, the ruach of the Holy Spirit in your life. To ask for the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. To, to ignite you again, to fan into flame again your love for Jesus and your love for the gospel in the world. I pray that today could be for you a fresh day of Pentecost for you. That you might be filled with the breath of God in your innermost being. You might be filled with the fire of the Spirit. And you might be given the voice of the Spirit to those around you that you might testify about God and see what He's doing in the world around us and be led to participate in that mission. May the Holy Spirit fill you afresh today. May he encourage your heart and may he lead you to see and join in with all that he's doing in the world around us. Let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are present now 
in, in the homes and households of every person watching and listening to this message today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are not limited by time or space, that you break through our isolation and you come into our homes and, and you fill us today. And I, I want to pray in every household, in every room where this message is being received, that Holy Spirit, you would fill us afresh, even now, Holy Spirit, that you would just come upon us afresh in power with the presence and the love, the grace and the mercy of God. Holy Spirit, you know the needs of each person watching this. Lord, you know how each person needs to receive from you today and what you want to do in each person's life. And I just ask, Lord, that you would fulfill your purposes, your will, your plans among us. Lord, do a work in our lives, but let it not just be about us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move out among us and through us into the brokenness of the world around us, into the needs and the lives of others, into the emptiness and the desperation, the desperate cries of a needy world, and you would come and flood the world with your peace and your presence. We want to say, come Holy Spirit, come in power, Come in faith, come and fill us afresh for your goodness and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.